We are going to be finishing up our series this morning called Better Together. And as we do, we will be in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And the text will be on the screen behind me. I'm going to read um, two verses before what's on the screen and then keep going. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. And he said, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. So will you, you will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. And a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So there you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. For the past two weeks, we've been considering relationships. We've been talking about the way God calls us to be in relationship with one another. Last week, we talked about the series Friends, and I heard some, some affirmations about using the, the television show to help us think through some aspects of relationships. I know Olivia Newell is a big friends person. My wife is as well. We've been thinking about what does it mean to do life together and how life is just better when it's done together. Because God calls us to be part of a community, not just to an individual faith, but to a faith of a collective people. That's what the church is. The church is not just about what you believe. It's not just about how you feel, it's about us. The Bible was written by a community, for a community, to the community. And so relationships are the quintessential factor, nature, essence of faith. God is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if we are to be holy as God is holy, like the scriptures command us, then we too must value, seek out, and nurture relationships. And so this morning, I would like to preach a little bit about the challenge of relationships, and I'd like to preach from the subject, keep up, keep up. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Howard Hendrick was a Christian professor and an author, and I heard him talk at Catalyst a long time, when I was in college, so over 10 years ago. And he, uh, he, when he was younger, he used to run track at Wheaton College. At that time, Gil Dodds was the indoor mile champion. World, he had the world record for the indoor mile. Well, Gil would regularly come down and train at Wheaton. Howard and Gil built a close relationship. They both ran together and they were trained together. But the first time they met, Gil had come down and Howard was stretching on the track and he had heard, Gil had heard of Howard and so he slapped him on the back and said, come on, Howie, let's go around. Let's go run together. And so he was caught off guard, but Howard got up and ran after him and before long he found himself three or four steps in front of Gil. And he said, man, if you're gonna be the indoor mile champ, I expected a little bit more. But what he didn't realize is when they finished their lap, 
that Gil was expecting to go around three more times and Howard had given it all that he had on the first go around. And so whenever they crossed the line, Gil came up behind him and he slapped him on the back. He said, come on, Howie, only three more to go. Howard said, I'm about to die. <laughs> I just gave it everything I've got. Howard was used to running short distances by himself, but Gil, he was used to running a much longer race. And he was there to tell Howard how to join him on the endeavor. Many of you know how I feel about running. And if you don't, let me tell you, I hate it. It is, if you're gonna end up where you started, why leave? That's just my, my philosophy on running. But there was a time in my life um, before we moved to Mobile and had two children where we used to train and, and we would run a lot. And we did uh, a couple Ironman triathlons. And I remember that if there was a short run, I was fine. I could just go do it whenever throughout the day, morning or afternoon, evening. But if there was a long run, like more than seven or eight miles, if there wasn't somebody there to train with me, I wasn't gonna do it. I just was like, I'll just go ahead and count that as you know, an off day, a rest day. If Brianna was at work and she wouldn't run the long distances with me, or if I couldn't convince somebody else, I just really wasn't gonna do it because I, I, have, I lack self-motivation when it comes to running because I, I, I think it's punishment. I mean, really, you think about it. it is the pun running is the punishment for everybody else's sports. So why do we choose to do it? That's just how I feel. I don't know how you feel. Maybe you feel differently. But, but all I know is it mattered to me to have the accountability and the support and the challenge of somebody else because I didn't want to let them down, right? If there was somebody else there with me, I was going to do it. It wasn't because I wanted to do it, but it's because I, I did not want to make them think that I wasn't in it with them, that I wasn't going to support them, particularly if it was my wife, right? I wanted to be there to support her and I didn't want to let her down because to me, that's what relationships are all about particularly relationships that are built on love. It may sound strange to you to think that a loving relationship is one that pushes you to do things that you are uncomfortable doing or maybe that you didn't think you could do. But love is more than just saying nice things and giving gifts. Jesus gave us this command, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Have you ever heard that song? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. That one? There is a quintessential reality about Christians. We're not supposed to be known just by the things we believe in. We're not supposed to be known by our political stances. We're not supposed to be known by how big our buildings are or how cool our worship team is. We're supposed to be known by how we love, how we love one another and how we love the world. So before we end our series this morning about being better together, I, I wonder and I want us to ask, how did Jesus love the disciples? He said, you are to love one another as I have loved you. So the question before us and the question that we need to understand and consider is how did Jesus love? I think it's a lot like the way Gil loved Howard, right? I loved him enough to push him forward, 
to help him be the best version of himself, even if it was something he wasn't sure he could do. A healthy relationship, a relationship built on love, is one that will challenge us. Love is not just going along to get along. Love, healthy relationships, and I'm not just talking about marriage relationships or significant others. I'm talking about the relationships you have with your friends. If you're going to join one of these small groups, the the potential that the relationships in those groups have is to be one built on love. And if it's built on love, then it has the essence of challenge. So how did Jesus challenge his disciples? Well, you remember whenever Peter was there in the boat and he saw Jesus walking towards him and, and Jesus called him, he challenged him, get out of the boat and come to me. Sure, Peter sank a little bit, but he, but he accepted the challenge Jesus offered him. In Matthew 10, Jesus gives them the authority to drive out impure spirits and diseases. And then he challenges them to go do it, to go into the world and do hard things. And then he challenges the disciples with the ultimate task when he tells them, you will do even greater things than me. That's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is pretty awesome. I'm a big fan. And if we're supposed to think of ourselves as doing more than Jesus, to do greater things, that's a, that's a tall order. Jesus' love for his disciples isn't always rainbows and butterflies. It's a love full of challenge. And so I think that there are three specific ways that we can think about the challenge Jesus offers us and that he offers his disciples. I'm sure there are more than three, but as I read the scripture, these three pop out to me from the gospels. I mean, Jesus challenges us to be present. Jesus challenges us to forgive and Jesus challenges us to sacrifice. Those are three things that a healthy relationship is built on. So let's take them one at a time. The first, that Jesus challenges us to be present. One of the many criticisms, but the main criticism that was levied against Jesus, do you remember what it was? It was how he spent his time. In particular, who he spent his time with. Jesus was always being criticized for hanging out with the ragamuffins, the 'er ne'er-do-wells, the ruffians, the sinners. People always told Jesus, what are you doing hanging out with them? Why is he spending his time with these people of ill repute and no worth? There's one occasion where Jesus was entering Jericho and there he was walking in. And you remember the children's song from, the, from our, maybe your days in Sunday school? Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. It's about this story right here. That Jesus was going into Jericho and everybody is trying to see him. Everybody's trying to touch him. Everybody's trying to ask for his help. And Zacchaeus was not very tall, and so he couldn't see over the crowd, and so he climbed up into a sycamore tree. And, like, he didn't call out to Jesus. He didn't, like, drop some banner saying, look up. But all of a sudden, Jesus just stops. He looks up, and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. And he says to him, he says, Zacchaeus, come, to, come down from that tree. Come down immediately, because I must stay in your home. Zacchaeus was thrilled and he welcomed him gladly, the scriptures say. All the people saw this and they muttered, look, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. That's how they responded to Jesus' actions. But the next verse, after some time, says this. In the presence of Jesus, Zacchaeus said to him, look, Lord, 
Here and now, I will give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, if you remember, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Not only he's the chief of the tax collectors. And you remember two weeks ago, we talked about tax collectors. Nobody likes them. They are the worst because they make their wealth through extortion by charging you more than you owe in your taxes and they get very wealthy off of it. And so the people don't like tax collectors because they think they're in cahoots with the Roman empire. The Romans don't like tax collectors because they cheat them sometimes out of their own money or because they're not actually Romans to begin with. So nobody likes tax collectors. That's why Zacchaeus was considered a sinner. But Jesus stops and has this interaction with him that changes his life. The presence of Christ in this man's life transformed it. And now you might be thinking, well, that just happened because he was in the presence of Jesus and Jesus is God. That same standard doesn't apply to our relationships because none of us are God. But first I would contend, are we not as the church, the manifestation of Christ's presence in the world? As members of this body of faith, are we not constantly praying, may we be the hands and feet of Jesus? So can we not bring that same power and that same presence to people? And second, I wonder if it wasn't just the fact that it was Jesus that spent the time with Zacchaeus that transformed his life. I wonder if it's the fact that anybody did. The chief tax collector has no friends. Nobody's coming to stay at his house. Nobody wants to be in his presence. See, yes, Jesus is the son of God, but maybe it's just the fact that Jesus was a person that took the time to notice Zacchaeus, to spend time with him and to be present. That type of presence has the potential, has the power to transform. After just a few moments, after an evening of being present and feeling loved and feeling like there's a real relationship here, Zacchaeus changed his whole life. I think that's why Jesus challenges us to be present. I think that's why his witness about spending time with the 'er ne'er-do-wells, right, is it's a witness to us to be present because presence matters. Presence transforms lives. Being present is a form of love that not everybody gets to experience. Whether it's because of the covid or whether it's because of just self-isolation, we are in a time right now, maybe more than ever in our lives, where people are missing presence. And now I'm not saying go be unsafe and everybody hang out and let's have massive super spreader events. I'm saying that we believe here we've created safe ways to have worship and to be present. We believe in our small groups that we are crafting opportunities for people to have safe, social distant, wonderful engagements with relationships. One of the things we think as a church we need to offer because we think it's so important is presence. Your presence matters. Your presence matters to more people than you realize. Maybe it's your children, maybe it's your coworkers, maybe it's your classmates. You might think I don't have gifts to transform the world. Who am I to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? 
Sometimes all it takes is being present, being willing to be there. I think that's one of the main ways Jesus challenges us to be present, but Jesus also challenges us to forgive. Jesus shows love to us through forgiveness. Do you remember the story of the empty tomb? There's four different versions of it in the Gospels. But in John's account, the women, they saw that the tomb was empty and they came back to the other disciples and they're telling them, hey, Jesus isn't there. The stone is rolled away. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense, the Bible says. But Peter, however, Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Have you ever wondered why Peter got up and run to the, ran to the tomb? Why the rest of the disciples weren't running? Why, in this account, is Peter running to the tomb? Was it because he was hopeful that the women's word could be true? Was it because he thought miracles were really awesome and couldn't wait to see one? I think it's because of what happened just three days earlier. Do you remember what Peter's last interactions with Jesus were? Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him three times. And Peter's like, I will not do that. You, you cray, Jesus. But that's exactly what happened. Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus died. Can you imagine living with that kind of guilt? Letting down your best friend, your savior, your Messiah, the person you gave up your life for. And that's the last thing you have to hold on to about your relationship. That was the last thing Jesus knew about Peter was that he denied him. That type of guilt must have like, must have been eaten at him. And then the women come back from the tomb and they say, there's a chance that you can go explain yourself, that you can go say sorry, that you can ask for forgiveness. And so he desperately is like, I've got to get to him. I got to get to you. And so he ran to the tomb. Jesus wasn't there, but a few days later, Jesus did appear to them. And after Jesus appeared to the disciples, he said to Peter, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he said to him, follow me. Just as Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus is using this command to feed his sheep, to forgive him three times, to tell him three times that he still trusts him to be the rock on which that church is built. That he is still Jesus' disciple. The love and the trust and the forgiveness he gave to Peter is the same that Christ offers to all of us. Jesus shows Peter love by offering him forgiveness. And it's a challenge he gives to each of us. The challenge to follow that same example, to forgive even those who betray us. Forgiveness is not easy. 
It's not an over-the-night fix, but it is an act of love. And it is necessary for us to have healthy relationships in our lives. If you're in a marriage, if you are a parent, if you have friends or a small group, you will know that at some point in time, somebody you love has done something to hurt you. Somebody you love has done something that felt like betrayal or somebody you love has done something that you found difficult to deal with. But that relationship doesn't have to be over because there's the potential for it to be transformed by the power of forgiveness. Jesus challenges us to forgive those that we love. That's a hefty challenge as well, is it not? If it was easy, it wouldn't be a challenge. But Jesus calls us, he challenges us to be present, to forgive. And maybe most importantly, he challenges us to sacrifice, to to give of ourselves for others. Have I ever told you about my friend Micah? Micah Wright is the pastor at Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church. His wife, Kristen, is the associate pastor at Ashland Place. Whenever we were doing our average of five people, I said, I've got four pastors and a saint. That's my five closest people, my wife being the saint. And I'm grateful for Micah, though, because he and I are very different people. He is, when I think of generous, sacrificial people, I think of Micah. He is a person in my life who, if I looked cold, he would take off his jacket to give it to me before I even had to ask for it. When I think of Micah, I think of somebody who wants to do for others more than he does for himself. When I think of sacrificial love, he's the first person that comes to mind. And he challenges me to want to be more like him because by being more like him, I'm being more like Christ. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Somebody who you can look at and say, the way they sacrifice is the way I want to sacrifice. Maybe it's by giving up their time to serve others, to serve the church, to to give. Maybe they sacrifice their finances to be able to support ministries or people or families. Maybe they sacrifice their expectations. Like when you're in a group or in a relationship, you might have this expectation for how things are supposed to be. If it's just like this, it'll be perfect. If people will show up on time if people will contribute to the conversation or if people will be very vulnerable or if people will be outgoing and want to go on trips together or if people, or if maybe it's just one relationship in your life, if this person would just love me like this or if this person would just open up or if this person, maybe you have these expectations and maybe they're unrealistic. Maybe as your act of love, that's what you sacrifice to being open to new possibilities. Or maybe you're willing to sacrifice your own facade. Because don't we all have them? We're all wearing masks right now underneath our masks. We're all wearing masks that guard ourselves from the judgment of others. We're all wearing masks that keep others at arm's distance. That no one can know the real you can know your fears or your hurts, can know the things that you're most desperate for or the things for which you long. We all wear masks underneath our masks. And maybe that's 
what you can sacrifice. Maybe a true act of love is to sacrifice your willingness, to sacrifice your need to guard yourself, and in so doing, be truly vulnerable with somebody else. Maybe that act of sacrifice truly shows other people that it's okay for them to be themselves. Jesus challenges us, not just so that we can be stronger or more fit, but because relationships based on love need challenge. A faith that settles becomes stale. And the same is true for relationships. If we stop challenging each other, we stop growing. The path of holiness is called sanctification, and it is filled with challenges. Sometimes the challenges are unexpected and things that we didn't see coming because they came out of left field, but others, they're intentionally offered by a friend. Are you that friend for somebody else? Do you have the option to help somebody's life be better because they are in a relationship, because they're experiencing life together? Are you doing that for somebody else? And is somebody doing that for you? Because if not, I hope you will consider joining one of these groups or at least coming to one of these classes. And if you're not ready to do that, I hope that you're at least praying about God offering you a way to be in relationship with somebody else because we believe that life is better together that you cannot be a Christian and experience the fullness of God if you're just living your life in isolation. So whether you're doing an online group because you're waiting to get your vaccine or you wanna meet outside with one of our groups or you wanna meet inside, there's something here for you. And if it's not here, I pray that you let us help you find it. Because our goal is not to be the biggest or the best or the coolest church in Mobile. It's to be the church that helps people experience the love of Jesus Christ. And we believe that that love, that love full of challenge and grace, that love full of wholeness and joy is experienced when we experience life together. Will you pray with me?